Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of The Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. So I've just had the most wonderful conversation with the wise and wonderful Judith Matz, who many of you will be really familiar with. We stepped through so many different topics, including Judith's long and incredible career, which is not over yet. She's got plenty of energy in her, that's for sure. And she took us through a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the most formative and influential parts of her career, which are actually incredibly interesting and really wove a story and a narrative of the ways in which we learn and the ways in which we take on information and how we can more compassionately be with our own experience experiences as we're stepping through and helping others with their own experiences as well, how to diffuse the shame which can pop up when we inevitably make mistakes as we're all human beings, and then how to move forward with compassion and willingness to be able to do the required work to continue to contribute towards body liberation. We also talked about the way that over time diet culture and quote unquote wellness has presented many iterations and sneaky side moves. So we really talked about what Judith has noticed over time, which can support us as health professionals to stay on top of what our clients are experiencing as well, so that we can be supportive and compassionate as we perhaps meet some sadness and some grief and maybe even some anger. And as Judith really cleverly points out, maybe we're experiencing the same thing too, as we're learning and unlearning and doing all the work ourselves as well. So I really enjoyed that section of our conversation. And then we talked about uh, Judith's new resource, the Body Positivity card deck, which she co-produced with Amy Pershing, who was one of my previous podcast guests, along with Shaviz Turner. So this is a 53-card deck, um, Strategies for Body Acceptance, Appreciation and Respect. I love this deck so much. It is instructive and informative, as well as inviting and compassionate. It has lots of practices and um, um, wonderful questions that we can ask ourselves in, in critiquing and then turning towards ourselves and our bodies with compassion and warmth. So there's information there on how uh, to purchase yourself a, a, a packet of the slide deck, either through Amazon or through PESI. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about Judith. So Judith Matz, LCSW, is a nationally recognised speaker on the topics of diet culture, binge eating, emotional eating, body image and weight stigma. She is co-author of The Body Positivity Card Deck, which I have just mentioned, The Diet Survivor's Handbook and Beyond a, Beyond a Shadow of a Diet. So these two books, as I explain in the podcast, were really formative for me, written in the early 2000s and, and changed the way I work forever up until this day. At, well, And moving forward, of course. Um, 
these two books, so the uh, Beyond a Shadow of a Diet has actually had a second iteration now. Um, the last one was produced in 2014, I believe, with some updates and um, which really shows the humility with which uh, Judith and her sister Ellen Frankel, who she co-wrote this book with, have really come to uh, the world and beautiful role modelling of how we can all change and evolve and, and bring new things to the world. Judith is also author of the wonderful inclusive children's book, Amanda's Big Dream. Judith's work has been featured in the media, including NPR, New York Times and Psychotherapy Networker. She has a private practice in the Chicago area and was also sharing with me that now she's really, really enjoying online work and, um, you know, is a uh, potentially moving away from face-to-face -face work and um, how that's so suitable for her, her, new, her new lifestyle, I guess, being a new grandma. It's really cool. So Judith offers a popular, very popular, full-day training for mental health and health professionals called Emotional Eating, Chronic Dieting, Binging and Body Image, What Every Clinician Needs to Know, and that's through PESI. You can find Judith online via her website, via Instagram at Jude Matz, and on Facebook via the Diet Survivors Group. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. It is really amazing. You can find out more about The Mindful Dietitian, including past podcast episodes at www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook and find me on Instagram at The Mindful Dietitian. So thank you so much for being here to hear this conversation with myself and the wonderful Judith Matz. So today, everybody, you are in for a massive treat because I am speaking with the fabulous and wonderful Judith Matz. Welcome to the podcast, Judith. Thank you, Fiona. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's so wonderful. We are literally on opposite sides of the world and we have swapped weather and daily life and everything in between. So it's just wonderful to have this opportunity. Finally, you and I have known each other for years, so it's wonderful to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad that we finally get a chance to sit down and do this together. I know. I wish it could be live. However, this is life at the moment, isn't it? So, yes. So, Judith, you've had a long and really incredible career. You are still going to be working, hopefully, for many years to come, given the gifts that you bring to our field. So I'm wondering if how it feels to you, if you don't mind just stepping us through a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of your career thus far, and perhaps even pausing at any points that feel really uh, important or feel formative or particularly influential. Sure. Well, that's a really big question. Um, but like you said, I have been doing this work for a really long time. I actually got training in the treatment of eating disorders in the late 1980s. And as I was in that training, I needed to support myself. And I had some part-time jobs, including working with um, OptiFast program, which was a medically supervised weight loss program. So I was uh, deep into diet culture at that point, thinking, you know, if it helped a few people lose weight, that's what we needed to do. And so I own my own fat phobia and bias. It's what I was taught. Um, but what happened is through, in that program, I saw the incredible amount of investment people made of time, of energy and money. And we all know how that story ends, right? I mean, eventually, of course, they gained back the weight. Um, but there was something more that was going on for me because what I saw is that the people who were considered successful by society standards actually were doing really disordered things to stay there, right? They were 
restricting food in a way that I didn't think was healthy. They were constantly preoccupied, over-exercising, all those things we know are disordered. And I thought, if this is what I'm helping people to do, yeah, no, thank you. I don't want to, it didn't feel ethical. And as I was reaching that conclusion on my own, I read the book Overcoming Overeating by Jane Hirschman and Carol Munter, who were really pioneers in the field. I know when we look back at the, their work, we can see some of the problems with it, but they were radical. They started in the 1980s saying, uh, you know, anti-diet, um, and they were, you know, writing about it. And their work really influenced me because it captured my own diet history, which wasn't very long, but I started dieting in high school and college. And started binging as the result of the dieting. And somehow on my own, I figured that out, that it was the restrictions that led to the overeating. And I was able to solve that quickly. But when I read how they came at it, it just clicked for me personally and professionally. So I, um, I, I was lucky to connect with some people in my community um, who saw a workshop I was doing, kind of starting to talk about this non-diet stuff. And I won't bore you with all the details, but I, what I guess I want to say happened is that as I sat with clients, you know, I knew how to help them make peace with food. I knew how to help them end restrictions. As a therapist, I could bring in, you know, whatever emotional aspects there might be to their overeating. But what I saw time after time is that they had to go back out into a world where there was so much weight stigma. And of course, like I said, I've been doing my own work. I came to understand bodies come in all shapes and sizes, that this idea that I kind of, you know, as a therapist trained um, psychodynamically, in other words, looking at why do people overeat? If we can understand the emotional reasons and they stop overeating, then they'll lose weight. I mean, that's what I, I believed at the time. And so as I came to understand that that was just false and these people were working so hard, it felt, is a mission a strong word? I mean, it was just so clear to me that the culture needs to change. And I guess I'll say that I think a lot of people, um, so probably this is true for a lot of your listeners, that as you start to do this work and you see the injustice out there, just working with people on one, on one doesn't feel like enough. It feels like we have to figure out what can we do beyond our, our practices and our jobs to change diet culture. Now, we didn't have the word diet culture then. You know? um, so in I'm trying to think so I started um, I love to write and I really one of the things I was aware of is that therapists and I'll say this is I'm sure true in dietetic practice as well we hadn't been taught anything about a non-diet approach we hadn't been taught health at every size again didn't exist at this at this point but you know looking at size diversity might have been a term we used back then and I really wanted therapists to learn about this because I'd get so many clients who had had really good therapy, but they had never um, been able to deal with this particular issue. At the time, um, my sister, Ellen Franco, uh, she actually, I think she had come up with the term beyond a shadow of a diet. And I love that title. And I was like, oh, I want a book with that title. And she had some more free time. And so we decided we would do this project together. And so that was the start of, of writing for me, being able to write about this work um, and put it out there. And a really important thing happened during that time, which is that a colleague of mine um, who was helping me with some of the research told me about a listserv called Show Me the Data. 
And this is place where, again, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with it now, but this was a place where therapists, dietitians, um, exercise physiologists, researchers, fat activists were coming together to look at the science behind weight and health. And so I was, I was able to get out of my little bubble. Just keep in mind, there was no Facebook then, no Instagram. A listserv was a really new thing. And to learn of all these people doing this work, um, see these, you know, these names that became more and more familiar that over time I met at conferences, they became my colleagues and my good friends. So that really opened such a door, um, the, a listserv, you know, and our book came out in 2004. And then in 2006, we published the Diet Survivor's Handbook. So both of those books um, you know, allowed me to get more of this work out there. And again, it just makes me want to reflect, just like I said about the overcoming overeating work, that the work changes over time. And so um, with Beyond a Shed of a Diet, we were able in 2014 to do a second edition because between in those in that decade, um, all kinds of new research came out supporting health at every size, health at every size became more developed, neuroscience became more developed. There were things we could borrow from that. Um, the term intersectionality, you know, we could we could work some of that in. So um, we were able to update that. Uh, Diet Survivors Handbook, we haven't been able to update, and most of it still uh, rings true. If I could go back, there's a couple change, few changes I'd make, but fortunately, um, it still continues to be to be popular out there. So that's that's sort of just trying to think um, what else has felt so important. But again, I think it's just the growth of this community over time has been mm. so meaningful to, um, and, and I, I guess the other thing I want to say that is so cool to me is seeing younger generations come up with this. And, and at this point, I mean, we're still so far from it. It's not taught enough health at every size, non-diet approach. It's not taught enough in graduate programs for therapists and dietitians, but it is starting to be taught in some. And so we're even getting younger clinicians who don't have to unlearn everything. Yeah, that's part of the problem, I think, is that the it's the energy and time expenditure on unlearning so much of what we learn in school. And the other thing that pops up with that is then that sense of, oh, my goodness, what happens if I've got all of it wrong? Like not just this bit, but what happens if I've got so much more of it wrong? And of course, you know, in our shared professions, there's a fair dose of perfectionism and high achievement and drive associated with folks who tend to find themselves, you know, in the helping professions. So there, there's something about that, isn't there, that, you know, just just a, a little bit of exposure. In my experience, I'm totally with you there, Judith, that um, I use an expression, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And exactly. so... You know, just, just having even a couple of hours of content in there is just a little seed plant that once you hear the words, then you begin to see it like a like a red car that you want, that you wish for. <laughs> you see it everywhere. Yeah, right. No, no I agree with you. Um, I mean, I think all of us who, who, who started out from a um, traditional weight management perspective, who has done the unlearning, I, you know, or at least I want to say most of us wish we could go back and apologize to some of the people that we right. worked with. And we can look back and say, oh my gosh, 
you know, I contributed to harm. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly feel that with the OptiFest program, you know, teaching these groups. And it's not that some of the things we taught were bad things in and of themselves, but the goal was always weight loss. That was always, you know, so it wasn't some of the awareness around hunger or fullness or things like that, but it was always in the service of losing weight. And then if their bodies didn't change or, or worse yet, they, you know, people lose weight. And so the program is successful, right? And then when the weight comes back, they're blamed. And that's to me, you know, what is so shaming is the way we blame people for the, for the diet failure. Um, and so, yeah, I think that regret of being complicit in that, but that's how a lot of us have learned this, that we saw the failure over and over and said, wait a minute, there is something so wrong here. Yeah. And I think what you're really pointing to there is that a vast majority, I mean, I, I could say everybody, but I'm just going to be realistic and say, you know, a vast majority of people who are in health and medicine are well-meaning, deeply caring people, very compassionate. So we're not talking about nasty, ill-intentioned people who are out there to harm others. You know, we are talking about people who genuinely care. It's that the the pathway of so-called uh, you know, health and caring, once we look at that through a weight-centric lens, has a particular way of being enacted, doesn't it? You know, which is um, it can lead people to feel feel shame themselves too. And, um, you know, so for anybody listening who's with Ju- Judith and I um, thinking, oh, I, if I could go back again, just know that you're in you're in amazing company. Well, with Judith, you're in amazing company anyway. That there is always things that we would go back and change, right? And so when you so you know when you talk about like the perfection, if I if I got it wrong, you know if I got that wrong, did I get something else wrong? Probably. Like so, we don't have we we have you know we can think about that idea of being good enough. Um, sometimes with a client, you can go back and say, you know since I, we talked about this, I've done some reading or I've, and I've learned something. I want to revisit this. We can revisit, but this is evolving our understanding of weight and health, anti-diet movement. And, you know, I'm sure in five years, if we talk again, we'll look back at something we were thinking or doing now and think, ah, you know, I wish I had done that differently. And, you know, I know we might talk about this a little later today, but even as we listen to the lived experience of people who aren't like us, you know, different backgrounds um, and whatever it might be, we keep learning. And so I think, I think that's what's key is to not think suddenly we have all the answers, but to stay open and keep mm. listening. And what a beautiful, uh, what a beautiful kind of uh, series of lessons to thread through our training is that, you know, to, to, to walk this path humbly, to hold what we think we know as science, to hold that lightly because it's likely that things change over time. I mean, there's for me personally, there's no greater way to observe this than as a sports dietitian. Uh, very science-oriented, very performance-oriented. So guidelines and everything have changed, like, a lot. And I think that, for me, has... Um, you know, that that's one part of my work it has really helped me to read research in a slightly different way. And like, this is what was found in this particular group of people, given these current set of circumstances at this time. Right. Mm. Yeah. 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 So it is, you're right. It's, we, we are very much evolving and, uh, and 
to do so together is actually a really great gift. All the, you know, therapists and dietitians and, um, you know, exercise physiologists, people in the medical profession, for us to all be doing this together is now, it, it's an enormous gift. Yeah. And I think, you know, what holds us is the community, that there's such a vibrant community out there of kind, wise, compassionate people who want to do better. Yeah, that's it. Who want to bunker down and join hands and learn from each other as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, I just wanted to loop back for one moment, Judith, to give a, a little bit of applause because I... Beyond a Shadow of a Diet was, for me, in the early 2000s, one of the most formative books that I read. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I, I knew of you way before we met in maybe 2016 or so, 2017, when we, when we met and, you know, got okay. to know each other in person, you know. Um, but Beyond a Shadow of a Diet and then the Diet Survivor's Handbook, you know, two, two in fairly quick succession. These were This was in my early-ish days of, of really beginning to question so much. And for me, it came at an amazing time where I knew something was wrong. I didn't quite know what it was. At first, I thought it was me. Then I realised it probably wasn't and of course you know with the support of the wonderful Dr Rick Causman who you are familiar yeah. with the yeah, incredible man um you know uh these were actually the two books along with um along with Rick's book that um that really glued a lot of ideas together and I really hear you when you say you know uh, you know second iteration of Beyond a Shadow in 2014 and I've got both of those copies and I will say that there is always going to be a book that is going to be suitable as an entry point for everybody at some time so for some people these days picking up for example a Janine Roth book might be completely revolutionary and for other people they might see yeah, a bit of diet culture stuff you know woven woven in there that feels feels um dated or feels like very much a 1990s kind of idea yeah and layered with some fat phobia right so you're but but you're right there are people who are forever grateful to janine roth because it gave them the concept of the anti-diet and yet still cr now cringe at that part of, of her work, which is unfortunate because, you know, I guess what I think about is like for people, you know, like I said, I, my, some, you know, my ideas have evolved over time. It's like, can you be flexible enough to say, okay, I was wrong there, or I see it differently now. And unfortunately she is somebody who I don't think has come along in terms of, Health at Every Size, whereas there have been some other authors who were who were talking about being anti-diet and didn't quite get that and then did the edits in their books in next editions yes. to say, I get it better now with Health at Every Size and, and make those corrections to be more weight inclusive. I think that leadership in, in authorship, <laughs> not that that's even a term, but you know what I mean, is really powerful in being able to um, demonstrate a sense of change over time, even within somebody who has given this a lot of thought. I think it's a really lovely, very public, <laughs> very public, you know, illustration of change over time. And it is, it is the brave person, I think, who is able to 
you know, able to really demonstrate that in a, you know, in, in a print form. Yeah. And, you know, and as, and as you talk about that, so on the one hand, the courage to say, I've done more work on my, of, of my own and I see it differently. And I contrast that with several authors out there who do amazing work, who have really contributed. I don't know that I want to name names today, but, um, but not, not necessarily people who are writing about the, you know, work with anti-diet and health at every size, but in other aspects of trauma or shame Yes, and have these amazing contributions. And then when it's pointed out to them, you know, there's this one area where you're doing some fat shaming, mm. refuse to slow down and get it. And that's, that's just so painful because we, we hope for better from them because they contribute so much because these are the very core issues of trauma and shame to be able to look at the, that own, their own roadblocks. If enough people are saying you're missing something. Yes. You know? So I guess that also just wants me to, makes me want to say in general for people listening, like when I do my trainings, the, I, I still love like of all the uh, parts of this work, separate from seeing my clients, but working with professionals, I love getting people who, who don't know this work yet. It's, it's, it's what you just told me, like reading those books that they made you, helped you shift. I love helping people with that shift. And so in my trainings, I do a lot of work with getting people to really focus on their attitudes toward weight. And even people who come in who think they've, who have done work, it's just that it's so ingrained, you know? And so when I do, when I go through some of the experiential exercises, they become more aware of the implicit bias that they still carry. And a lot of times people feel really bad about that. And I guess what I want to say is, you know, it, it's never to make people feel bad or feel guilty. We have all marinated in diet culture and in weight stigma. And so of course it's there, you know? And so I think it's just really important for people to stay very compassionate with themselves yes. and do the work. Right? And, 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 and. And do the work. Yes. And stay compassionate, that they're holding both of those. It's just, you know, the process I think it's about. And, and actually then isn't that what we bring to our clients? Like, you know, we have so many clients who, um, at least this is my experience, and I bet it's yours too, Fiona, intellectually they get it. You know, body positivity, positive body image, you know, feel, yeah, that's great. But that doesn't mean that they can always feel it. And so being able to hold those different things, to stay compassionate about how hard it is to do this work, given the weight stigma out there. Absolutely. And keep doing it, yeah. We're good learners, aren't we? That's how humans are designed, is to be able to take information on and pop it away in a, in a part of our mind where we don't necessarily have to think about it too repetitively over and over and over. So a lot of the weight bias that we learn within our environment really reflects us being effective learners more than anything else. And when I frame it like that, people are like, oh, oh, okay. That's, I mean, my, my uh, intention for that is not to Pollyanna it, you know, or not to silver line it, but more to say, you know, this is the way the human mind has evolved and has developed is for us not to put too much repetitive work into things. And so no wonder it feels like oh, square peg, round hole, trying to fit something that doesn't, you know, that hasn't been my previous experience. Yeah, that's a great way to, to frame it for people. It also, it also kind of opens the door then for them to start looking at 
so where did I get these ideas? Because they just get taken for granted. Of course, I think this way. It's normative, right? It's, it's normal to think thin is good and fat is bad and these foods are healthy and these are unhealthy. And so to really start to go back in time, where did I even first hear this? And that person, why did they tell that to me? It's, it's very instructive to go back. Yes. And a lot of today's health professionals were children of the 70s, 80s, and perhaps our, our newer health professionals are children of the 90s. But of course, what we understand about the 70s, 80s and 90s is that it was diet central and weight centric central. There was a lot of that. Was, these were the earlier iterations of um, the bigger diet companies, the, you know, um, point systems and, uh, you know, clubs and weigh-ins and all that kind of thing and so we were many of us were growing up also in households where this was just you know um daily activity and wasn't questioned at all so it, it really Model. was interesting it was modeled exactly so it's interesting to um to think about our own experiences like you say compassionately and then be willing to do the work uh again, for the next generation, a you know, transgenerational transmission of um, eating, eating and body concerns is, is such a, um, it's really poignant and, and very pre prevalent in, in today's, well, it has been for many years and, and, um, and perhaps still for years to come. Um, but it's, um, I wonder, do, do many of your clients express, do many of them come to therapy wanting to understand their own experiences for the sake of their own parenting, to parent their own children? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that's the main thing that brings them in, but it's often mentioned. I mean, I think they, you know, they're desperate and tired of the struggle themselves but yes, I often hear that phrase. I I want to, I don't want my kids to to feel that. Um, and a lot of times, because sometimes I have people come in who don't even know what this. You know, they don't really get what they're coming in for. I mean, they know they want something different, but they don't really get what the non diet work is. And so then somewhere along the way, they start to talk about their kids and their feeding. And I think that's great. It's such a great way opportunity to get in there and help them. I've had parents really change you know, moving from, you can't, you know, you can't have dessert unless you eat this or, you know, it's not. So, so I've been able to help parents. And I think that's a much more effective way to help kids is to work with the parents. Right. Um, yeah. I've also had, I just, I'm trying to think of some particular stories, but just clients who just have done such a wonderful job of being comfortable with their bodies. Um, I, I had one client, I wish I could remember the exact words, but her son said, you know, how much he loved her squishy tummy. And in the past, she would have said, made a comment about being too fat. And it was mm. like, she was able to actually embrace that and say, yeah, doesn't a squishy tummy feel great? You know, so that kind of thing is awesome. Also, to, like you said, generationally, what gets passed down and to start to see some shifts. That's yeah. not the normal though, unfortunately, but. No, it chip, chip, chip away. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so speaking of, there has been uh, many iterations of the wellness diet and of diet culture more broadly. And I'm curious to just take us back through what you have noticed as to what are the sneaky faces, I guess, of diet culture and how 
we've ended up in this really strange non-diet diet, intuitive eating for weight loss, body positivity. You know, okay, it, it, intuitive, did you see the intuitive fasting? Oh my gosh. I almost don't even have words for that. I'm so ragey. Yeah, it's exactly. so antithetical and the opposites. So, so yeah, like you said, I mean, the phrase diets don't work. That's been around a long time, I think. Um, I, I guess early 2000s. I don't know if it was in the 1990s, but certainly by the early 2000s. So then it was like, well, I'm not dieting. I'm just eating healthy. And even, you know, when I told you I worked in the, the OptiFast program, um, I then did a maintenance group through my practice for those people. We didn't call it a diet group. It was a lifestyle group, right? But what I always say, whenever, whenever you manipulate food for the purpose of weight loss, it's a diet. And it's subject to all of the same physiological and psych psychological pitfalls. So I think diet culture... I mean, oh, this, like you said, there's just so many iterations. The sneakiness of it this, these days is calling it wellness. I think because wellness sounds cool, right? I mean, we want to do things that support our well-being. And, you know, so whether it's yoga or adding certain kinds of foods to our diet. And, and I think part of what's tricky is that in and of itself, those things aren't good or bad. The issue always is, is your practice because you enjoy it and it supports you and your, you know, your physical, emotional, spiritual self, or are you hoping to lose weight or is it to maintain a certain weight? I mean, so we always have to try to flesh that out. Um, but people know better these days than to use the word diet, right? Well, not everybody, people still talk about dieting, but, um, but just a couple things that, that come to mind around the sneakiness, this one, this one isn't even about diets, but it's about diet culture. Um, there in, in the US, we had our um, national figure skating championships last month. And there's a skater, Gracie Gold, who was very uh, um, public about leaving skating several years ago because she hasn't had an eating disorder. And I don't, I haven't read it in detail. I assume she's done the work where it's, she's been approved to be back on the ice skating. And so she'd come back for this championship. And as she's skating, you know how an ice rink has those boards around with ads and there's an ad for Noom. Mm. And it's just outrageous, right? So here's the figure skating, um, you, you know, national figure skating organization support, getting support from Noom, which is a diet, I'll come back to that when their figure skater just is recovering from an eating disorder as if one has nothing to do with another. And that's just what's so outrageous about diet culture, you know, and, and, and again, like you would hear just about every um, parent out there say, I want my child to have a healthy body image. Right. And yet so many of them, I happen to be on a Facebook group for moms in my area. And I can't tell you how often you know, there are things about, okay, we're going to, we're going to start taking out all the sweets in our house. And then when they get called out, no, it's not a diet, mm -hmm. you know? And so people just miss the connection. I want my daughter to have a positive body image. I want her to have a healthy relation. You know, I don't want her to have an eating disorder. And yet they model behaviors that are, I'm not saying in and of itself, those things cause eating disorders, but they're conducive to them. They, yeah. Right? Is that, does that word make, I guess that word makes sense to use there. So you take something like Noom, which initially advertised is not a diet, 
That's what they said. They don't even say that anymore um, because they talk about weight loss, but they make it sound scientific. They say there are psychologists behind it. And there are, there are people from my field who are teaching people how to restrict and possibly triggering eating disorders, certainly triggering disordered eating. And, you know, this is supposed to be the new healthy way to lose weight. Um, and it catches people, especially the more scientific ones now these days, things sound more scientific. Um, you know, and, and there are people with PhDs or doctor in front of their names writing them and they get the um, blurbs. And so it's, it's confusing. And I think even, even to people who are in the non-diet field, all of a sudden we might have to say, that's why I'm so always so grateful for our communities. Help me understand this because it sounds like it makes sense. And so it's, we can understand how people just so easily get caught in it. On the flip side, um, there's, there's also more awareness of diet culture and the dangers of it. And so last month, well, um, I was quoted in an article last month, but Good Housekeeping, which is a mainstream magazine in the US, um, they're doing this series, an anti-diet series. Oh my goodness. And I don't know if you've seen it, but the article I was quoted in, I was shocked. They literally said, we've been complicit. Wow. We've talked about sinful cookies. We need to stop. Mm. We're working on changing our language. I mean, that is huge. That's absolutely massive because the readership for that would be millions. Now, will they stick to it? Yes. I mean, because even, so I mentioned intuitive intuitive fasting and for anybody <laughs> listening out there saying what is she talking about uh Gwyneth Paltrow who who started Goop um she she wrote a forward for this book it's a, it's written by a it says doctor I don't know that it's a medical doctor he's a chiropractor I believe chiropractor co-oping the idea of intuitive eating misusing it talking about fasting in a holistic way as if we need to decide how and when to fast. Um, but some months ago, last year, somebody from Goop reached out to me, really concerned about food shaming going on. And um, I did a whole interview for Goop. And when they posted it on Instagram, I had a lot of people saying, this is the direction you should go. You know, there was like 10,000 responses or 10,000 likes. So, you know, there was this glimpse for a moment not that I thought she'd ever get it, but then it's like, oh, you know, I just want to throw my hands up because one step forward, a thousand back. So I think we're going to see this for a long time. There's, it's big business, you know, follow the money. Yeah. Anti-diet approaches don't lend themselves to marketing a lot of, you know, anti-diet products. And so we all just need to stay vigilant about and help our clients, you know, sort this out. What I really love, Judith, about the way you stepped us through that is um, was the way that you role modeled, role modeled how we could then do that with our clients as well in a way that encourages them to be able to critique in a compassionate way uh, rather than getting caught up in, oh, now I've made another mistake. I've wasted this amount of time and money because that's a real risk for our clients, isn't it? That, um, you know, that, that pulling back the veil, I suppose, on 
on diet culture or, you know, having invested in another round of, for example, Weight Watchers or having signed up for Noom, that this is another stick to beat to beat ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I really loved about the way you stepped us through that is um, being able to hold that space where if somebody has a collection of intense feelings, um, perhaps self-critical feelings or self-judgmental feelings towards themselves for going back into the fray, that it would be unsurprising and we can be a safe haven for people. Absolutely. And also, you know, again, it's these different sets of feelings. There might be sadness, there might be anger. I think anger is a really helpful feeling in helping people move forward in their own work with letting go of diets, with making peace with their bodies. Um, and so what did they learn from the experience? What do they take away? It just, it kind of deepens their understanding. So, you know, we can always use their experiences to, to help them um, integrate this work that we're doing. Yes, yes. And put things together in a way that um, supports folks to understand that there's nothing they're missing. They're not missing like the mindset piece or the fancy science piece. You know, like the author of Intuitive Fasting was talking about something like mitochondrial degeneration or something, and I'm thinking, that's what bodies do. Like you're talking in in this scientific terms and talking about just what bodies do so to to, you know to understand that is pretty powerful that makes me think about something else that you had mentioned just earlier before we started the podcast which is what happens for professionals that like so when I do my trainings right I get mostly therapists and some dietitians and they're there because they want to help their clients many are there because they're struggling with these issues too our fields are predominantly female and these issues have been ingrained. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of therapists, a lot of dietitians who are also looking for the magic answer. And it's easy to get fooled by this. It's easy to think. And then, you know, we should, we should know better through our training than try to try to promote something that's worked for us or not working for us. But we see that happens, you know, and again, so it, it, I just want to say that it's so easy for not just our clients, but for us as professionals who haven't quite solidified this yet or still learning, you know, how it's a vulnerability for everybody. And, and that's what these people are doing with their science is playing on those vulnerabilities. These words sound good. I don't understand that it must make sense, yes. you know, because I don't understand. Yeah. So what you just said, that's naturally what happens. That's not my training. I don't know that that's naturally what happens. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it seems to engender this almost false sense of trust that this person must know what they're talking about because they're using words that have more than 10 letters in them and sound very scientific. And they're, they're, they're saying it in a way that seems as if they really know what they're talking about because they're putting all these words together in the same sentence. And I don't quite know what it all means. Right. And I really want to lose weight. Yeah, I mean, because that's right. that's the vulnerability that gets played on, like the desperation people feel. So maybe this is finally the answer. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's so true. Now, switching towards uh, hope and compassion and being with our bodies, I really want 
to um, invite you to talk a bit about the Body Positivity Card Deck, which you co-wrote with Amy Pershing, who has been a previous podcast guest with Chavise Turner. An amazing episode if anybody wants to go back and um, listen to that. So this was a, a card deck that you wrote um, and was produced and published by Pessy. And it, on the front cover, which is absolutely beautiful, it says 53 strategies for body acceptance, appreciation and respect. Now, I am very, very lucky, Duck, because I actually uh, procured myself a pack of these stunning cards. Highly recommend to anybody listening who wishes to use them for themselves or in practice. So do you mind helping us understand a little bit about this card deck? It's incredible. Sure, I'd love to. And thank you for your kind words about it. Um, you know, I do a lot of work with Pessy and these card decks are really popular because they're, there's a way they're easy. Instead of sitting down and reading a whole book, um, they just offer compassion, they offer support, they offer information and they offer practices to build. And, you know, that's called the Body Positivity Card Deck. Um, some people like that name, other people who have been doing this work for a while, like body liberate, you know, use words like body liberation, body trust, and we don't need to get into all the reasons, but I just want to acknowledge um, that. But first of all, I love those, those three ideas that body positivity consists of acceptance, you know, this is where my body is at right now, appreciation for what it does. These are the arms that let me hug my children or the legs that let me, walk, you know, go on a beautiful walk in nature and respect. We take care of what we respect. So I don't think we have to talk about loving our bodies in this culture. I mean, if you love your body, that's terrific. But in this culture, just being able to feel at home in it, to take care of it is really worth fighting for. Um, and so the card deck is divided into these four categories of of um, self-compassion, of body image, of mindfulness and self-care. And each, each card has something related to feeling more at home in your body. Um, and what else do I wanna say about that? I guess the biggest thing I wanna say is that as much as anybody works on body image, first of all, we have to be aware of um, what I think most people are familiar with this term these days, but in, internalized weight stigma. That it's not enough to say, oh, just have a positive body image. We have to be aware of the weight stigma out there, how that impacts people depending on your identities, you know? So it's not just about your weight necessarily. It might be about the color of your skin or your gender identity. There's so many different things that impact how people feel about their bodies and in their bodies and how they're treated by the rest of the world. And so in the end, you know, we can do everything we can to feel more at peace in our bodies, but there are gonna be times when we're more vulnerable. And so to me, the key is to build resilience, to have ways to respond. When you get that flood of shame or the negative body thoughts, um, instead of believing them, how do you reject them? How do you challenge them? And so that's really what the card deck offers, a way to not feel alone in this, ways to start to reject um, those messages so that you can feel stronger, stronger in, in your own body. Well, what I really love about the cards is that within each section, it's, um, you can't, people who are listening to this as a podcast can't see us talking, but it's in two sections where the first 
top half of the card um, is is yeah, informative, educative, um, like and lesson. Like yeah, it's, it's a, kind of a short lesson. It's a short lesson, and then the bottom half is more uh, questions, reflections, practices. Um, and so, can I share just one randomly that I've pulled out? Yeah. Okay, so this is from the body image section, and this is inviting us to take a little bit of stock of our environment. So the top half um, says the messages you take in day in and day out impact the way you feel about your body. Create an environment of body positivity to the extent that it is possible. Now, I'm going to put pause here just for a moment to say that how wonderfully compassion the very um end of that sentence is so to the extent that it is possible it's really acknowledging that everybody uh, has different degrees of access to be able to change their environment or to be able to become more attuned to the environment and even if we are aware it doesn't always mean we're going to be able to do something so I think that is a beautiful um that's a very beautiful statement. And then in the second half, um, the invitation is to take a survey of your home and or work environment. And I'm sure that means other environments as well that we move in as well. The next question asks, do you watch commercials that promote only one type of body? Do you have books or magazines that offer weight loss suggestions? And then the last one is consider removing these products and ads and even replacing them with body positive resources. So that's an invitation to action within what is accessible to us. So, I mean, I just literally picked this one out randomly and I've taken a really good look through these cards and they're all like that in the sense that they are compassionate, they are as inclusive as possible um, and, and really an invitation to question and critique and then also identifying ways in which we can take action uh, to the extent that it is possible to use your words. It's been really neat to hear how different people have used it. So one person wrote that she was um, journaling, that she was picking a card every week oh. and then doing a whole journal entry about it. And then I've heard from other people where they've been using their therapist, using it in a group and using the card to foster conversation. So, um, and, and one colleague of mine, I, I wish I could remember the card she chose, but she used it with, a, with like a 12 year old who was struggling oh. with body image. And she went through the deck herself, picked out the card she thought would be appropriate for 12 year olds, and then had, had her client pick one out and used it for a therapy session and said it went beautifully. So there's all kinds of ways that people can use the deck personally professionally and we've been thrilled by the feedback it's been um, really great to hear um, that they're having an impact do you know what's really interesting is I I didn't get these cards until after my book vitamin A to Z had been published do you know what's really interesting is these are structured very similarly where um I have about, I don't know, maybe 500 words more of uh -huh. in each chapter that is more informative and, um, you know, exploring of a particular idea. For example, M is mindfulness. Um, o is open hearted. S is self-compassion. C is curiosity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh -huh. And then with some of these, uh, not some of these, as in they came from the deck because they didn't, um, but some, some questions and reflections and, Interestingly, I've had exactly the same feedback is that people um, find that, that kind of combination of, oh, that's really interesting to understand. And then here are some opportunities for me to ask questions which feel 
uh, grounded in curiosity rather than interrogation. Oh, right. I mean, isn't that what we're always after? Curiosity and compassion. Yes. And that's what moves us forward in this work. Yeah. So um, for anybody that's looking to uh, purchase the body positivity cards, um, where is the best way that they can get them, Judith? Well, there's oh, they're always available on Amazon um, in the US, in Australia. I know you have them. I don't know if there's people listening in other parts of the world. Some, some of the other Amazons have them, some don't. Um, professionals can also get them through PESI in the US. And I think PESI in Australia carries them too. Sometimes they run discounts, so you can always check and see. Take a look out for that. <laughs> yeah, um, so, you know, it just depends on, on what you prefer. But Amazon is probably the easiest way. Yes, I love these cards. I really do highly, highly recommend them for anybody for our own personal work or for our professional work as well. There's literally hundreds of ways that you could use them, only limited by your imagination, really, and creativity. So, um, yeah, please, you know, uh genuinely i mean this genuine i'm a, obviously a very big fan of both judith and amy and you know i've got to say what i love most about these cards um is that i can hear both of you in them i really mm. can i can hear your voices in them and i think so so highly of you both that your wisdom and your own tenacity and your uh, the work that you have both done personally and the work that you have done alongside others to hear um, you know other people's diverse voices and experiences in the world really I can I can literally hear each of your voices in this and that that is very powerful for someone like me that is very powerful and I'm sure that has a, a, a great deal of influence and impact for others too well that's really neat to hear I'll pass that on to Amy it was such a pleasure to work with her yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so from here, so we've kind of talked a bit about the past, the evolution of, of uh, things, so to speak, up until the present. We've talked about this incredible resource that you and Amy have produced, so we could call that the present. Now, just to round us off, I'm, I'm so curious, Judith, as to, you know, what are your hopes for the future in terms of weight-inclusive care? What would you, how would you really like to see us moving, moving this work forward in our communities in the world? That is such a big question, and I wish I had some simple answers, but I'm going to start with, so I'm going to just look at one aspect of what you're asking. I hope that we can figure out how to get more more doctors trained. I mean, I know we need to look at all the structures systemically. There's so much work to do, but I don't know about you, but I spend hours with clients dreading their visits to the doctors. They're avoiding doctors. They're being shamed by doctors. It's hard to find doctors who practice weight inclusive care. And, and not only, you know, we know from what's happened with COVID, we see that different marginalized groups are not having proper access to medical care. And so just that whole industry, looking at medical care, how are we gonna make sure the most vulnerable among us have access? I, you know, our, I'm sure, you know, our systems of, of medical care are different in Australia and in the US and other places people might be, be listening, but it's just a disaster here. Specifically, when it comes to our higher weight clients, they're not getting services they need. For example, you know, we see higher weight clients sometimes with osteoarthritis being told they can't have um, have um, orthopedic surgery, knee surgery, unless they lose weight. Well, you know, give me a break. 
if they could have lost the weight, they would have lost it. We know physical activity is something that supports people, you know, in better health. And I just started thinking of one client where she couldn't walk her dog anymore because of the pain in her knees, but she was being refused care. Mm-hmm. And that's just not acceptable. Fortunately, I was able to find one surgeon who um, was willing to, you know, to refer her to, and she had the surgery and now she's back to being able to, to, to walk. Um, but, but I, I don't know what's taken us so long. I've heard people along the way say they want to develop things for doctors. You know, it's, some, somewhere somebody's going to take that on, I hope. Um, I also think that as a community, we're just seeing people, like I, I said this earlier, we need to listen to um, different voices and learn from different people. I think as we're doing that, you know, I think we felt um, initially all united around anti-diet health at every size, but we're starting to see that within the community, there are different, different ideas about what it all means and how, who gets served and how. And so I guess I'm just hoping that we can continue to find ways to all collaborate together, to listen to each other's voices. Um, we're all gonna make mistakes along the way. We, you and I talked about that earlier. And um, I hope that we can apologize where we need to and move to the next steps of how do we keep how do we keep supporting each other and this work um, as we try to change these structures that are just so embedded? So I don't know that that's the most comprehensive or best answer, but those are the things on my mind these days. I, I invite you to add anything to that. But. Do you know what I love most about those, those points, Judith, is that actually those are invitations to be leaning into our own vulnerabilities and own you know, uh, the, the various ways in which we have shown up in the world so far and very practical. Let's get some more training into medicine and, and nursing as well. I mean, dietetics is probably not to toot, not to toot our own horn, but I am going to toot, toot for a moment is that we've done pretty well at integrating weight inclusive care into programs. Um, we've still got a long way to go. There's not nearly enough in Australia. In Australia. in Australia but other programs know so I know this year Health at Every Size Australia which is our version of um, ASDA Mm. this is something we are really focusing on and I think one of the one of the things I notice with medicine is that it appears as a non-medical health professional it appears as though doctors enjoy listening to other doctors and so I feel like that change almost needs to come from within. So it's wonderful to see people like, um, you know, Jessica Campbell from New Zealand, who is almost, 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 almost a fully fledged doctor. So she is Hayes underscore student doctor on oh, Instagram. I, I have yes. yes, she's yes. awesome, Jess. And then there's people like Natasha Lamy um, from the UK, who has um, absolutely flown onto the scene in the past, you know, um, handful of months or so and uh, people like Dr Joshua Walrich and, and people like that who are starting to really raise their voices in this space and there is a part of me that really thinks that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah yeah I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I was recently on a panel with Dr Lisa Erlanger and that, oh, yes, was, Lisa. that was 
Yeah, so that was great. So, um, and I know she's doing some other kinds of speaking. I don't know if she's speaking directly to doctors yet. I hope so. And I know Dr. Leslie Williams here is doing some good work. So um, yeah, I hope that we can, we can broaden that. Yes, yes, we do bring more doctors into the fold. I, I think there, there are a lot of people on the on the periphery who, for example, work in eating disorders and they get it when it comes to eating disorders. But um, it's a it seems like, you know, mental gymnastics to extend that out to um, other other ways that bodies show up in the world. So I found that not a bad strategy is to is to um, bring people on board. Uh, gradually who come from an eating disorders perspective and um, you know almost, almost it's almost like taking the side stage door rather than you know front on <laughs> yeah 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 well I know I have I mean I have conversations with my own medical doctor trying to <laughs> yes. you know visit by visit teach more of this that's but. great I like that stealth yeah <laughs> right stealth training <laughs> Wait, but aren't we supposed to ask permission? <laughs> oh, no, not in those circumstances. Just, just, just let them have it. Just let them have it. <laughs> I love that. Funny, yeah. Judith, you are such a wealth of wisdom and I have no doubt at all people will want to be learning more about you and your work and what you offer to the world and our community too. So do you mind letting people know where they can find you, please? Sure, I'd be glad to. I, mean, my, I have a website, judithmats.com, so that's an easy one. Um, I'm on Instagram now, and that's at judemats, J-U-D-M-A-T-Z. So those are the two main places. We do have a Diet Survivors Facebook group. Um, and the other thing, you know, besides my, my books and those resources um, I do these full day trainings for PESI, for therapists and dietitians. So if anybody's looking for, for training, they give, um, you know, credit and at least in the U S I don't know how that works internationally. Maybe I know there's a PESI in Australia, so maybe someday I'll get to come and actually do one there. Um, but you can certainly find, find all of that on my website or just by Googling me, Judith Manson PESI, you'll find, um, besides the, the live trainings, which are now uh, telehealth or, or through Zoom, um, there's a recorded digital seminar. So it's accessible anytime. Oh, that's fantastic. And as somebody who I've heard you speak a number of times, I can really attest to the um, the wisdom that you bring and your your ability to weave um, kind of the theoretical ideas together with lived experience, actually very, very powerful. Judith is an excellent, excellent speaker and somebody who we should all be really um, learning from, that's for sure. So with that being said, it has been an absolute pleasure, Judith. Thank you so much for being here with Thank me. Thank you so much. It's always so much fun to talk with you, Fiona. I really appreciate it and all your kind words. You're welcome. And uh, hopefully next time we'll get to catch up in person and, and spend some time in the sun together. I hope so too. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Judith. You're welcome. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.